Our uh, scripture reading this afternoon will uh, come from several places, beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17, we'll read verses 2 through 7. All of the readings this afternoon are in connection with Lord's Day 43, which deals with the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So Deuteronomy 17, verses 2 through 7. If there is found among you, within any of your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, a man or woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God in transgressing his covenant, and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, or the sun or the moon or any of the host of heaven which I have forbidden it, and it is told you and you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently, and if it is true, and certain that such an abomination has been done in Israel, then you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two or three, or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now we'll turn just a couple chapters forward to Deuteronomy 19, and we'll begin in verse 15. We'll read verses 15 through 21. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother." so you shall purge the evil from your midst. And the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So far from Deuteronomy, now we'll turn uh, to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12, verses 13 through 22. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, 
but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. No ill befalls the righteous, but the wicked are filled with trouble. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. A prudent man conceals... Oh, sorry, that's as far as we're going to go. Uh, to verse 22. Uh, then we'll turn to uh, the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we'll read verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So far, the reading of God's Word. Uh, This afternoon, we're looking at the uh, Ninth Commandment, which we can find in Lord's Day 43. Lord's Day 43 of our Books of Praise, that's page 557. There, the question of the Catechism is, what is required in the Ninth Commandment? I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. So far, the Catechism. (laughs) 
brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ. The story is told of a minister who uh, once informed his congregation that he was going to be preaching uh, on Matthew chapter 29, and so he asked his congregation if they would raise their hands uh, if they've ever read Matthew 29. And he scanned the congregation, counted the hands, and then he said, well, it looks like my sermon this afternoon is going to be very timely because this, issue, this afternoon we're going to be dealing with the issue of lying, and there is no Matthew 29. So it looks like we have our work cut out for us. Well, this afternoon we are dealing with the issue of lying, or at least the issue of the Ninth Commandment, which has to do with lying. And the Ninth Commandment of God's law says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, there's more to this commandment. We're going to see this. There's more to this commandment than just lying. But the point is clear. God hates falsehood. God hates lies. God loves the truth because God is the God of truth, the source of truth. And and so telling lies, breaking promises, fudging the truth, all things that have to do with this commandment, are things that have nothing to do with God's character. Now, as we deal with this commandment, then we want to remember, uh, as we have for every commandment, that what we're, dealing here, what we're dealing with here in the Ten Commandments is the law of liberty, a law that God has given that we might live as a free people, a people who have been set free from sin, that God wants us now to live uh, free And with this commandment, perhaps more than with any other, the connection to freedom should not be hard to find. The Bible often speaks about lies as snares. They ensnare, they capture, and they destroy the person who tells them. Little children, do you know what a snare is? A A snare is a trap. It's a trap that a person would set for an animal, like a, a, a mouse trap or a fishing hook. These are examples of snares that lure the animal in, that tempt the animal to come and take the bait. But the moment they do, uh, it catches them and it costs them their life. In, in biblical times, they would often hunt birds with snares. This is why they often speak of the fowler snare, uh, a net that they would use to catch birds. Uh, and as soon as a bird flies into it, it'd get all tangled up in, in the net and could not get away. Well, the Bible often calls lying a snare. Uh, perhaps some of you have experienced this very thing. Uh, were you told one lie? maybe just a small lie about some silly thing that maybe you didn't even need to lie about. Uh, But then you got questioned on that lie, and so you had to tell another lie to cover the first one, and then another lie to cover that one. And before you know it, you're just like that bird, all tangled up in a web of lies, uh, and it's too late to set yourself free. Well, that's how the scripture speaks of lying. Proverbs 12, verse 13, An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Or Proverbs 18, verse 7, A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. This means that not only do our lies entrap us here on this earth and, and lead to all sorts of problems for us, but they are even a snare to our souls. By telling lies, we put our very souls in danger. We're breaking God's commandments and putting ourselves in a position where unless we confess that sin 
and tell the truth, we may very well be heading down a road that ends in hell. In fact, in Revelation 21, uh, you read about the day of judgment at the very end of history, and it says, As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'll understand your father's heart here then with this commandment. He wants you to be free from snares that capture your soul. He wants you, he set you free and he wants you to live as a free person. And he sent Christ to die, to pay the price for your lying so that you could be forgiven and then set free from lying. Well, the truth is all of us have told lies before. Now, sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes we do it without even thinking about it. We, we do things like we, we say we did our homework when our parents asked us if we did our homework, uh, but actually we were still planning on finishing it later. Or maybe we said something about someone else, and, and then they, they found out about what we said, uh, and so we try to uh, cover our tracks and make it look like we said something different about them. It's really pretty scary, isn't it, how easily, how quickly uh, we are willing to tell lies. It's, it comes almost second nature to us. We see it already in, in children. Sometimes we just change a few words. Uh, we rearrange a few small facts. Uh, we make it look a little bit more favorable for us. Uh, we leave out details that may not look so good in our favor. You parents have all heard this. You know, little Susie comes up running saying, Johnny hit me. Uh, and you already know uh, the first question you need to ask, why did he hit you? What happened right before he hit you? Because probably some detail is being left out of that story. And, and we as adults, we do the same thing all the time. Uh, we, we slip in little lies and we leave out uh, important details. Your boss says, how's that sales report coming? And you say, yeah, good. You know, I'm not, I'm not quite done yet, but I, I had a phone call with a client earlier and a couple other things this morning and leave out the fact that maybe we were late or spent half an hour on Facebook or something else. We can all be very skilled at lying. Uh, it's very easy to leave a few things out or, or switch a few things around. You remember the story of Joseph's brothers when they uh, sold their brother into slavery? Uh, and what did they do? They killed a pig, and they spread its blood all over Joseph's coat. And then they took that coat back to Jacob, Joseph's father, and they said, look, we found this. I wonder what it means. Could it be that this is Joseph's coat? Well, even though they may not have said anything that was untrue, it was still a lie. They knew what happened to their brother. What we want to recognize this afternoon is God hates lying. God hates lying. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 16, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that sh shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Seven things the Lord hates, and lying makes the list twice. And so as we think about this commandment, we want to understand our Father's heart. Uh, lying is something that comes from Satan. He's the first to have told a lie, and Jesus says he is the father of lies. And it's something God hates. 
And so we want to understand, why does God hate it? Uh, And how can we learn to hate lying and to love the truth the way that our Father also does? Well, the first thing we should do then as we try to understand this is to listen carefully to the commandment itself. We should always start with the words of the commandment itself. Now, the ninth commandment is not just talking about any sort of lies whatsoever, but it is referring actually to something very specific. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So this commandment has to do in the first place with bearing false witness, that is telling lies against our neighbor. It is specifically lies that are intended to hurt or destroy our neighbor. Uh, And and the the context for this is the courtroom, uh, when someone's accusing someone else of a crime. Uh, In ancient uh, Israel, as has been the case for most of human history, the the importance of the eyewitness was supreme. Uh, It it wasn't as easy in their day to identify fingerprints as it is in our day, though you may find it interesting. The Babylonians did work with fingerprints, uh, but they just didn't have a whole lot of smooth surfaces on which to leave uh, fingerprints, nor, of course, computer records by which to, to look them up. Uh, and so the, the, the role of the eyewitness was, was that much more important. Uh, they didn't have DNA samples. They didn't have cameras. Uh, they didn't have the technology we do. And so they relied, uh, to know the truth, they relied on the eyewitness. Uh, a person could live or die then on the basis of eyewitnesses. And so the law of God required two or ideally even three witnesses in order to incriminate someone. It's interesting the law says two or three, which clearly leaves some ambiguity, leaves some flexibility on the part of the judge. Uh, If he thinks, you know, these witnesses are not all that reliable or uh, they may have suspect motives, the judge may have the right to say, you know what, I want three witnesses just to be sure. So the role of the eyewitnesses was was critical. Their word could have the person killed. This is why in Deuteronomy 17, we read from earlier, uh, the law also required that if if the person was ultimately convicted of the crime, uh, the witness would not only have to be there for the execution to see what their words are doing, uh, but even have to cast the first stone. Uh, They would have to literally kill the person to send the message home, your words are having this person killed. So if you're lying, their blood is on your head. It's a very sobering thought, isn't it? Our words can kill. Our words can destroy a person. And that's not just, that wasn't only true then, it's true also today. It's very easy for us to speak a condemning word, a word that kills, and then just sometimes just walk away. Uh, we share some gossip that we don't even know whether it's true uh, or, or whether it's fair, whether it's the whole story. We share gossip that destroys and then walk away as if we haven't done any wrong. We forget someone else has to live with the consequences of our words very easy to post something on social media condemning someone else or accusing someone else of a crime because we're not the ones who have to actually carry out the sentence. Well, the law of God helps us to see that our words are death or life uh, for for our neighbor. Uh, And therefore, we ought to speak only when we're also prepared to see that sentence carried out. And we shouldn't forget either the sentence for sin. What's the sentence for sin? It's hell. Think about that. Does that cross your mind when you accuse your brother of sin? 
Would you be prepared to make the same accusation in the throne room of God if you knew that God would condemn that person to hell on the basis of your words? Do we think about what we say about our neighbor? And we also read from Deuteronomy 19, and there uh, God sets forth another important requirement for the courtroom. Uh, in, in a criminal case, uh, it says the judge was to inquire carefully. This meant that uh, the word of the witnesses was not meant to just be taken as it stands, but there was to be a cross-examination. Uh, the judge was to ask hard questions, to get to the bottom of it, and to have certainty. And if it turned out, that the witness was actually lying, uh, whether that is willfully, knowingly lying, or testifying recklessly, as sometimes happens, testifying recklessly against the life of the other. If it turns out the witness was lying, then the witness was to receive whatever sentence was intended for the accused. And that's where the, the famous line actually comes from in the Old Testament. It's a well-known line, eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, uh, life for life. Uh, it, whatever they intended to do to their neighbor by their words shall be done to them, and the judges even warned, you shall have no pity. You shall not pity the false witness. It's a very sobering thought, isn't it? We're to be very careful with our words because they can mean the life or death or otherwise great suffering of our neighbor. And how have you, have you ever accused a brother of sin? Are you confident that your brother really did commit the sin? Are you confident enough that you're even prepared to make that accusation before God, knowing that God will judge according to his perfect law? I'm sure you'll agree too often and too easily we can be careless with our words. And, and this is a very serious thing in the eyes of God. But this commandment doesn't only apply now in the context of a courtroom or, or to context where we're accusing someone else of a crime. Now, the principle here can be extended more broadly. Our words have the power to harm our neighbor. And that's true beyond the context of, of the courtroom. I know we say we teach our children, too, the, the little uh, ditty uh, that sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Uh, and there, there's something good there. Uh, we want to train our children to be resilient, to, to take an insult and, and walk away, uh, to, to not have to uh, react. Uh, and and there, there's truth to that. Proverbs 12, verse 16, The anger of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. But that only works one direction. Even though we, we should learn how to ignore an insult when we're on the receiving end, that doesn't mean we also have the right to dish out unjust insults on the other end. The truth is our words can hurt, uh, and our words can sometimes even kill a person. You see this all too often now in the news and stories of, of suicides that happen because of slander or because of gossip. Words do hurt people, uh, they do cause damage, and they do break more than just bones. The Apostle Paul, or excuse me, the Apostle James, as he writes about uh, lying and the destructive power of the tongue, uh, he says in James 3 that the tongue is like a spark that sets a forest on fire. Uh, lies uh, very easily do this, they take a life of their own. Uh, they start with a small lie and they very quickly spread into, uh, into a giant lie that does incredible and irreversible damage. Uh, so, so too with vicious and destructive words. 
How many of you have said something uh, in a moment of anger that you or the person you said it to has never been able to forget? Uh, How many of you have said something to someone you love that has never gone away, uh, even after many years, even after you've apologized and they've forgiven, yet the hurt still remains? Our words do hurt, they do damage, and they can destroy our neighbor. It's very easy to scatter lies if if we have a habit of lying. It's very easy to cast them out left and right, uh, to scatter them. It's a lot harder to pick them back up. The Lord Jesus teaches us on the day of judgment, we're going to have to give an account for every word we've spoken, every careless word that we've spoken. And think about that, all your, your, your conversations, phone calls, text messages, Facebook, Twitter, uh, even the words you speak to yourself privately in the car. Uh, not one of us can even keep track of all of, of our words, and yet God does remember. The Catechism, too, mentions some other ways in, in which we uh, very easily and often violate this commandment. It says we are not to twist anyone's words. Uh, This happens when we we take someone's words out of context uh, to make it sound like they said something that they didn't actually say uh, or or at least didn't mean. Maybe you can think of an example in in Scripture. Uh, If you remember Genesis 3, uh, what what did God command Adam and Eve? He commanded them, said, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree, he says, you may not eat. Well, what did Satan say later on to Eve? Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees of the garden? It's twisting God's words. It's making him say something he didn't say. There's a lie embedded into that very question. And it's easier than than we think, perhaps, to, to twist someone else's words. Uh, Think of how prolific this is in in politics uh, and in the media, and yes, on both sides. Uh, It's rephrasing what someone said, uh, taking it, uh, removing it out of its original uh, context, or or trying to put it in the worst possible light, uh, trying to create misunderstanding. And the truth is, we do this this to each other as well. Uh, How often have you heard something someone else said and uh, and, and you're like, wow, is that that really what they said? Uh, And and the person says, yeah, that's basically what they said. Well, that word basically, that means it's not really exactly what they said, but this is is what I'd like you to think that they said. Uh, And this is really easy to do, especially when we're talking about someone that we're already predisposed to dislike. Happens all too often in churches or, or between one church and another. Perhaps you've heard this sort of thing, criticism of other churches in the Federation. You know, that church is, uh, did that, and we're not sure about all the facts exactly, but we have an idea that we believe already uh, about them. It's very easy to do because we're predisposed uh, to do it. Well, the Catechism also talks about gossip. And we all know what gossip is. Gossip uh, is sharing information uh, about someone that damages that person's reputation uh, and sharing it unnecessarily. Uh, It doesn't really matter whether it's true or not. It it can be gossip either way. If it's being shared for our pleasure, shared for our entertainment, uh, and not for the person's good. And the easiest way to tell uh, whether something is gossip is to ask, would you say that in front of the person? Would you say it that way if you were in their presence? Would you want them to know that you're sharing that information? 
Uh, nor says the catechism are we to uh, condemn someone or join in condemning them rashly and unheard. Rashly and unheard. It means uh, before we know for sure whether the accusation is actually true. Proverbs 18, verse 17 says the first one, or, or the one who, who states his case first, seems right until the other comes and examines him. Well, you only have to look at the news to see this sort of thing condemning rashly and unheard. Uh, and and uh, it, oftentimes an allegation can be just as good as proof uh, in our contemporary culture. Well, this is something that within the church, as a people who serve the God of truth and who love the truth, this is something that we ought to reject outright as a church. Uh, we are to have nothing to do with rash condemnations. Uh, it's something in our culture that is increasingly prevalent that we must stand up and oppose. Uh, to insist on due process is not to defend the accused, uh, nor to ignore or disbelieve or belittle the accuser. It is to treat the accusation with the sobriety with which that accusation, which that accusation deserves and to preserve the honor of the, the accused until that accusation is found out to be true. See, see, as we serve God, we recognize truth matters. Justice matters before God. A, a culture like ours that has made truth relative, that is my truth versus your truth, is a culture that will also exercise that relativity uh, in its administration of justice. This is something that as Christians uh, we, we have no part in. There is a God who is true. There is not my truth versus your truth. There is the truth. Uh, there is a throne room of justice where all truth will be heard and made known and a God who sits on that throne who will judge according to that truth. And there's no appeals courts in his courtroom. And so scripture teaches us over and over we are never to show partiality uh, when judging an accusation. Whether we are in the position of judge uh, who, hand, who hands down the accusation or in the position of jury who must weigh the accusation. Uh, we are to love the truth and be committed to it. It's very easy for social pressures uh, or our own personal biases even to push us uh, in one direction or another in favor of one party or another. Well, Scripture warns us strictly you are not to show partiality. Uh, Leviticus 19, you are not to show partiality either to the rich nor to the poor. You don't get to say, well, because they're poor and they're fighting against the man, against the big corporation, uh, then, then we, we get to take their side. Uh, no, what matters is who is right, uh, which side is true. That ought always to be our allegiance. It may never be that at the end of the day, we stand before God like Job's uh, friends had to stand before God, being told by God uh, to, to be silent because we are not speaking the truth. The Bible also speaks about flattery. Um, if, if, gossip, if gossip is saying um, behind someone's back what you wouldn't say to their face, flattery is the reverse. It is saying something to someone's face that you wouldn't actually say behind their back. It's telling them lies that they would very much like to hear, but not for the purpose of building them up, but with the purpose of using them uh, to get something for ourselves or with the purpose of setting them up to be destroyed. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 5, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. 
Uh, he tries to build his neighbor's ego by telling him all sorts of things just to see his neighbor stumble and fall. A flattery, it's like a net or a trap that you deliberately uh, set before someone. You make them feel more comfortable in your presence than they ought to feel. Uh, and, and so you set them up to fall. Uh, we flatter them when we're trying to use someone or when we're trying to destroy them. Now, this is different, obviously, from simply being encouraging. That's a gift. That's something the Spirit helps us to do, to speak upbuilding words, to speak words of kindness. Flattery is not the same as kindness. It is insincere kindness. It's kindness that you don't truly mean. It's speaking more kindly of someone to them than you would about them. And that's a form of hatred. Uh, in, in Scripture, that's a form of hatred. Uh, Proverbs 26, 28, A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Well, brothers and sisters, here, here's the big idea. Our God is the God of truth, and He hates and despises every word that comes from malice or the desire to harm our neighbor. Uh, in fact, Scripture teaches us that lying is the devil's native tongue. He introduced sin uh, into this world by means of a lie. Uh, and, and as the Lord Jesus says, he, he has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So flattery, gossip, lying, slander... These are satanic and demonic practices, and they are utterly detested by God. Again, Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And so the question is before us, since God so hates deception, how can we put it to death in our lives, and how can we begin to reflect God's character of trustworthiness and, and truthfulness? Well, to answer that, the, the only place where we can begin is to begin with the gospel, the gospel of God's grace for liars. Uh, the judgment of God against liars is serious. We saw uh, where it goes uh, in Revelation 22. God hates liars, and they will be punished. But the gospel is also true. And the gospel is the good news for liars like you and me. Liars like all of us who have been lying from birth because we imitate our father Satan who lies from the beginning. The gospel is the, the true story of Christ dying on the cross in place of liars. Uh, in fact, he was crucified on the basis of false witnesses uh, and he went to the cross to die the death that liars like you and me deserve so that you and I could receive God's forgiveness. Well, I hope in the few minutes that we've spent reflecting on this commandment uh, that, that we've all had a tender enough heart to be able to see that uh, we still have room to grow here, to see how our own tongue really testifies to, uh, to, to the real condition of our hearts. But now, brothers and sisters, having seen that, also confess that to God. Confess that and receive God's forgiveness for it. The prophet Isaiah, when he stood before God, as he saw a vision of God on his throne, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. I pray that that's your confession as well, your recognition uh, that this is you, and that you recognize Christ died for not just other people's sin of lying, but for your sin of lying. 
Uh, Christ died for liars like us, and that means when we confess our sin, when we confess our lying to him, uh, we, uh, we, we are received into God's grace and favor and forgiveness because Christ went to the cross for us. Uh, Christ once said, it, it's not what goes into a person's mouth that makes him unclean, but it's what comes out of it. For out of the heart, he says, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And these are what defile a person. And yet, you think about it, Christ spoke those words knowing that he was headed towards the cross, that he was going to die for those defiled people because he's the only thing that can make those sinners clean. Uh, And he makes us clean, not just in the sight of God, but also in practice, in the practice of our lives. He sends His Spirit into our lives to cleanse our daily habits, our daily practices from this sin of lying. Uh, He he works through His Spirit so that uh, even through sermons like this, as we listen to His Word and meditate on this commandment, we would think about how to put lying to death in our own lives, to be a people who live free uh, from the sin of lying. He calls us and he teaches us that we are to be like our Father God, to reflect his truth, to be a people committed to his faithfulness. And so, brothers and sisters, let me call you and now also urge you uh, to renew your commitment to reflecting in everything the truthfulness of God your Father, to put all, uh, all lying and deception to death in your life. It's not always possible to restore what you've broken by lies, Uh, If, of course, you have told lies and you know what those lies are uh, and they can still be corrected, then go and do so. Uh, Do do correct what lies you've spoken as far as it is within your ability. It may not fix what's broken, uh, but it will certainly be a good step and it will be a good first step in the process of repentance, putting that sin to death by, by deliberately acting out against that sin shattering, uh, as it were, whatever idol existed in your heart that made you sin in the first place. But then having done so, do stand in the grace and forgiveness of the gospel. Even the thief uh, in in Ephesians 4, the thief is, is not told he has to now spend the rest of his life repaying whatever he's stolen from whoever he's stolen it uh, from. He's told to steal no more and now work with his hands to give generously to those in need. His righteousness is not something he has to re-earn for himself. It's something given to him by God. So it is too for liars. Stand in the grace of God as a child of God and learn to begin loving the truth as your father also does. Put off your old self, Paul says, Ephesians 4.22. Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Having put away falsehood, he says, let each one of you now speak the truth with his neighbor. Or again, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What does that love look like? Well, it certainly begins with speaking the truth with with your neighbor. And then finally, brothers and sisters, this is something we should bring before God in prayer. Pray to God that he would show you where there is still lying uh, or deception left in your life uh, or malice against your neighbor that still needs to be dealt with. 
Pray to God for the power of the Holy Spirit to put that malice and that deception to death. You think of the, uh, the prayer of uh, Agur in Proverbs 30, verse 8, where he says, Remove far from me all falsehood and lying. That's something we should be praying to God to help us to do. And then finally, come near to the God of truth. Come near to him in his word and in prayer every day. There's nothing, nothing that will sanctify you and sanctify your life like being near, coming near to the God who is truth. Uh, Just like Isaiah, uh, standing in the throne room of God, it's when you're there in his presence that you see how unclean your own lips are. But it's also there that you see how beautiful and how good his truth and holiness is. And you learn to desire it by being there with him. How good and precious and valuable is the truth of God by which we've come to know him uh, and by which we've also come to know the gospel by which we're reconciled to him. Amen.